Hi, I'm on a podcast with Mumbrella and they've asked me to do this live read. I'm doing it under duress. Here it is. Mumbrella's ComCon takes place in exactly one week and with tickets almost sold out, it's time to secure yours. The conference promises an all-star lineup of the most senior ad execs, including myself. Uh, they didn't say that, I'll put that in there. Set to deep dive on the most pivotal topics impacting the industry for 2022 and beyond. What's more, bring your team and save over $240 per ticket. Don't let tickets sell out before you get yours. Loss aversion. Uh, head to umbrella.com forward slash comscon. And you can also hear from us about why people love earned media but hate PR. Boom, boom. Welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Callum Jaspin. Today, advertising for fossil fuel clients. Is it the new cigarette clients? We're also joined by Thinkerbell's Adam Ferrier. Uh, so you'll hear from Adam about the state of advertising in an audio edition of Campaign Review. And we'll um, also put a few more questions to Adam while we've got him here. So Adam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Callum. Nice to be here. And also joining me today to discuss all of this is editor Andrew Banks. Hi, Callum. And creative reporter Kalila Welch. Hello. We've got to apologise for the uh, the audio quality today, but we're we're doing the best with what we've got. It's my fault, I'm sure. It could be the torrential rain, Callum. No comment. So on Monday morning, the AFR's Miranda Ward reported that AGL is reviewing both its creative and media partners, uh, those presently being CHEP Network and UM. While it's currently in unclear who's in for both, both incumbents have been invited back with CHEP Network confirming to Mumbrella that they're in for both creative and media. Uh, but before we talk about that ourselves, here's a short interview with Comms Declare for Climate's Belinda Noble. Founder and president of Comms Declare for Climate, Belinda Noble, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks very much for having me. So um, you started Comms Declare around two years ago, I guess, with the intent of stamping out greenwashing uh, from polluting companies in Australia. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, we found that there was definitely a gap um, in in um, the climate uh, activism. Uh, we, we found that there was a, a, a gap in that people weren't really taking into consideration um, the importance of marketing and promotions in um, perpetuating uh, you know, high emitting uh, companies and, and the climate emergency. So um, we've, we decided to, uh, to tackle it because um, you know, it, it is integral and um, just like a company that will finance a coal mine um, is being targeted over its role in the climate crisis, so should an agency that, that helps a coal mine promote yeah. itself. Yeah, I mean, on our site, you know, we've written articles about the the 10 most prolific brands or however you'd want to say it, who discuss climate change and, I guess, green action. It's, um, I guess, maybe a bit more of a challenge to to weed through because, you know, you have certain names on there who are clearly not the in the top 10 cleanest companies in Australia. How, how, how rife do you think that um, greenwashing is in Australia right now? It's uh, extremely rife, um, in, endemic, I would say, and uh, it's not surprising that only half of consumers actually believe sustainability claims. 
um, when you've got uh, companies like I think Santos topped that list or the the CEO of Santos um, topped that list, which is a you know a, a gas company that's talking more about sustainability than um, than anyone else, it um, really shows uh, the the issue that we're facing. Yeah, and then um, kind of it's sort of. Um maybe materialised at the start of this week in a report in the Australian Financial Review telling that AGL Energy is examining its agency arrangements um, as the company looks to, I guess, examine how it's perceived by consumers and other stakeholders in a post-coal environment. Um, While we do previously, I think it was reported that they would continue to use coal until um, 2048, so I guess it's, it's difficult to present yourself as a green company uh, if that's, I guess, one of your biggest financial motivators. Um, those two agencies that it pointed out uh, on the current roster, CHEP Network and UM, um, I believe CHEP Network is again going in for the combined media and creative, and I'm not quite sure about UM. You yourself, you're calling for agencies to pitch, uh, sorry, to boycott the pitch, Um what what do you really, I guess, realistically expect to, to happen here? Because, you know, we've got their chap back in for it and all it really takes is for one to, to kind of pick up the phone. Look, um, first of all, I think it's probably worth pointing out that AGL is Australia's largest greenhouse gas polluter um, by far. Um, the IPCC says we need to cut coal um, by 2030. Um, and then in fact, coal should have peaked by 2020 if we're to maintain anywhere near a safe climate um, and around 1.5 degrees. Um, cutting coal is the single most powerful action that we can take um, to keep a safe environment. And yeah, AGL is going to keep one of its uh, coal power stations open until 2045. So it's 15 years later than it should be. Um, their planned demerger is, is um, I guess you could say, you could interpret that that is a, a, an act of greenwashing in itself because it wants to turn the company into two divisions, one which is sort of nice AGL and the other one is dodgy AGL, which is where all the coal uh, mines will be kept so they can still keep the AGL brand nice and clean while while um, producing most of their electricity from burning coal. So that's, um, yeah, really disappointing to see that Chep uh, would pitch for this again. Um, but I guess not surprising when you consider that, you know, nine, their clients are responsible for 9% of Australia's greenhouse gas pollution. Um, look, um, the fact that they rebranded uh, and want to be part of this new economy creativity, um, but are still pitching for AGL is uh, quite confusing to me. I don't see how you can help companies become a positive force um, while you're also, um, you know, um, protecting or becoming an apologist for um, Australia's biggest coal producer. I mean, you, so we do have, I guess, quite a big representation in Australia of these kind of companies with the industry, a quite a heavy industry in mining and um, other avenues like that. And that you came out with this report um, last year, the F list, in which you kind of uh, named and shamed a lot of the global agencies who are representing these kind of clients. One of those, as a result, I think Edelman said that it was reviewing its client list, which had Shell on it, um, ending in. Uh, no changes, surprisingly, um, 
do you think this was more performative or do you think that we will start to see maybe more substantial reviews going on from these agencies? Yeah, well, Edelman was kind of doing the same thing, in my opinion, that Chep has done, which is they've, you know, they've, they've taken stock, but they've just greenwashed themselves. They said that um, Edelman says that it wants to be the creator of a trusted transition, whatever that means, um, but it's still working for Exxon. And it, you know, um, how can you be both? How can you really play both sides of the fence like this? How can you be trusted um, for a, a green company or a sustainable company? How can you have sustainable clients while you're also working for Exxon? I just don't get it. Um, there will be more pressure on these agencies. Um, there'll be pressure from staff. There'll be pressure um, on their reputation. There'll be pressure on legal and regulatory issues. And in fact, we are seeing increasingly laws coming in, um, you know, restricting ads for high carbon products. Um, this is, it's, it's not good business. I, I, I really think um, it's, it's a losing proposition in the long term to take this kind of business. While we we can I guess look forward and look with the, the I guess the regulation, but have you have we seen any material impact of it being negatively I guess impacting a brand's image or their staffing or anything like that you've suggested as of yet? Um, well, well, Edelman I guess is the the prime example. They had some of their top executives leave. Um, I think it was around two thousand and fifteen. Um, and also brands uh, quitting over uh, Edelman's work with fossil fuel lobbyists. Um, and then you had, I think it was, you know, hundreds of scientists and influencers signing a petition um, recently calling on them to drop Exxon, um, which forced them into doing that review. So, yeah, um, the pressure is going to be there. It's going to be, you know, not only from groups like Comms Declare, but, you know, Greenpeace is... Uh, is uh, putting a lot of pressure on AGL at the moment as well with Australia's greatest liability um, campaign. You know, it, it's um, it's only going to get greater as uh, as climate impacts are felt even more. Yeah, and then um, on that report last year, the airflows, what, what's the kind of reception been to that? And have you got any more work kind of coming up in that same sort of vein? We certainly do. Uh, we'll be doing the airflist again this year. We gave out the F-List Awards um, earlier in the year where um, the Monkeys won, um, with, along with the Australian Government, the um, Public Disservice Award for the uh, Positive Energy Campaign. And uh, there'll also be a campaign um, which will be a, a fossil ad ban campaign which will be calling for tobacco-style um, restrictions on ads for coal, oil and gas. And, uh, in fact, Yarra Council in um, in Victoria has already um, put forward a motion and passed a motion that it uh, does not support fossil fuel advertising on any council-managed land, and we'll see more of those in the future. Great. Well, um, appreciate you coming on and sharing all that with us today, Belinda. Thanks so much for your time and for your interest in this subject. So while we don't know who is on the full pitch for AGL, aside from CHEP for now, uh, it's obviously an incredibly lucrative piece of business with the brand spending uh, around $98 million on advertising services in 2021, according to that AFR piece. Um, Banksy, I guess, first up, uh, for an agency, do the financial benefits outweigh the potential reputational damage that comes with 
getting into bed with a renowned polluter such as AGL? Cal, I think it's for now I would say yes, they do. But with the caveat of for now, I think agencies are not quite ready just yet to throw the baby out with the oily bathwater, so to speak, because uh, there's money to be had there. I think there's a quite a challenge involved for a lot of agencies as well to to um, take that message forward. But it's important to look at the the money that's involved in the industry. In 2020, the total income of the coal mining industry was about 73 billion. And the gas sector in Australia provides about 15.49 billion. And that adds about 3.97 billion to the economy. So there's a lot of money there in the fossil fuel industry. It earns billions, it pays billions in royalties, it receives billions in government subsidies. And of that, it spends around 500 to about $700 million a year on advertising. And and we're not just talking about ad campaigns here. They're serving up millions of dollars worth of Facebook and Google ads and reaching hundreds of millions of people with what Greenpeace calls, in their view, greenwashing. Uh, for example, Shell, they say, insists it spends billions on clean energies, but Greenpeace argues it's spending five times that on fossil fuels than on renewables. And it's just not sustainable, I guess, for comms and PR companies in the long run to to keep delaying and trying to reposition these sort of businesses at this current pace. I think the plates are shifting and the tide of public opinion is turned just as it did for the tobacco industry. I'd be keen to know your thoughts on that, Adam. Um, I, I don't want to talk about um, any particular um any particular company um, or or pitch per se, but I will talk about the industry um, in a general sense. That I, re- I reckon the only I still think the only really 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 bad products that you, if you use them exactly as intended will kill people are cigarettes and firearms. And I think for the um, energy industry. Uh, the energy industry are big polluters, but they're providing energy, and uh, and that's a that we all use it, or else your lights turn out mid mid podcast. And so I think the massive challenge for the industry as a whole is moving towards um, clean, reliable, affordable energy, and I think everyone's on board with that. The transition towards that um, and how that's done as quickly and as cost effectively as possible. Are big structural issues that are um, uh, kind of far beyond, if you like, uh, the advertising industry's influence. Um, it comes, you know, there's government regulations part of that. There's how the companies are structured, uh, and so on and so on. So, um, yeah, that's my point of view on it. Yeah, I think in, in this particular case, it's obviously uh, there's a few moving parts with the demerger going on, um, which um, sorry, Mike Cannon-Brooks kind of labelled as potentially adding 10 years to the timeline for removing the, um, the I guess, coal from that business. Um, do, do you think there is a, a potential upside for businesses, for example, going for an energy client in terms of kind of maybe having that influence or turning them turning the ship around or the, t- the public opinion? Yeah, I, I reckon in a general sense, the world's turning to shit. 
and um, people want to work with companies that are part of the solution, not part of the problem. And the more you can do that, the more um, enthused and energised um, your people are going to be, basically, to turn up turn up to uh, to work every day. I think there is a groundswell. I think something. I think it's changed massively where people don't want to work with companies who are part of a problem anymore. They want to work with companies who are helping make the world a better place. And I reckon what we're seeing recently is the reconciliation that it's not people versus, it's not profit versus purpose, but, you know, it's profit through purpose and um, a lot of the time. And so I, I think corporations want to attach themselves to other corporations um, who are part of the success journey leading the world to be a better place. Yeah, I agree um, with Adam there as well. The, I was just reading a, a, th um, a quote from Kimberly Wells at a recent Nine Summit. Uh, the TBWA Melbourne and Adelaide CEO said sustainability is a commercial strategy and just some numbers that go with that. 78% uh, consider a brand's social environment impact when making a purchase. 74% of Aussies state they're happy to pay more for brands with strong sustainability practices. And that very same percentage of Aussies say the benefits of taking further action on climate change will outweigh the costs. And also 56% consider a brand's sustainability when choosing their future place of work. So I think it, it is turning, like Adam says, and uh, it, it is something that businesses and and agencies need to work together and consider and move forward from here well moving on coming up next new work with new agency partners campaign review goes audio campaigns have slowed down a touch in recent weeks as we reach the business end of the federal election um the actual product of creative work sometimes doesn't potentially get the coverage as the rest of the process. So we figured we would do an audio campaign review of sorts this week. And as much as we would like to potentially review every campaign this year, we probably don't have the time today. Um, recently, we've seen a couple of brands launch their first work with their create, new creative agencies, including NAB with TBWA, HCF with Clemenger Melbourne, Colonial First State with It's Friday, also It's Friday going out with Domino's, ANZ with Special and uh, Ned's with the Monkeys. A good place to start might be um, Two Birds with One Stone with the Banks. Um, TBWA lost ANZ to Special, but then picked up NAB last year. Adam, what did you think of both of their first outings? Um, I don't think either of these campaigns have come from an agency who has a proposition about brutal simplicity of thought. So I think they both require a lot from the consumer uh, or the, the viewer to digest what's happening and understand the, the ads at a really basic level and then process what they're trying to say about the respective brands. Um, I quite like the proposition of... Um, being a financial well-being, and, um, and I, I quite like the the language and the platform, um, and I love special and they're nice guys and people there. But um, I like the platform. Let's just leave it at that. And um, on the um, on the on the NAB multiverse weirdness, I honestly just didn't get it and I don't understand what's going on. 
Um, yeah, I well, I mean, I'm I'm kind of with you there. Uh, the the ANZ one in particular, I like that they released a new ad today, and they're kind of doubling down on this um, Pete character that they're going with, which I think is um, potentially a smart direction to start with. Um, and we also had uh, work from uh, Steak uh, with Bear Meets Eagle on Fire, uh, which got a lot of praise when it came out for just being something completely different. Um, in particular, two weeks ago here on the Mumbrella cast with Russell Howcroft. Do you think there is uh, maybe, Adam, in the financial sector, is there? do you think there's a sort of pattern or style which has emerged and maybe this one uh, is taking a bit more of a risk or is it a, a, a sort of risk-heavy category in general? So a risk-averse category in general, right? And so you see people thinking, God, what's a risk? Money should be the sexiest category there is. It's the category of hopes and dreams and financial services historically thumbed it down and made it really boring. I think what we see in this, in the latest creative work is a yearning, a desperation to make it look interesting and and kind of sexy. I think the steak stuff's actually pretty interesting because at first glance it looked pretty unbranded, but because they've got such a strong visual look and feel that they're carrying right through everything, then it's starting, it's starting to be a good foundation for the brand, I think. Um, so I, I, I think they're trying to make the category more entertaining by being entertaining rather than, I don't know, the, the category is kind of getting a bit lost in the messaging on, on some of those other ones we had to look at. Yeah, I mean, we did have a few comments on the, the website with some of the financial uh, maybe banking ads that have come out recently basically saying, well, you could you could really just rebadge and repurpose this across potentially any of the big four. Do you think there are any categories that maybe are taking big risks right now? Well, I don't like the question. I think I think you don't want to take big risks. You just want to do really good, effective work, right? So, um, and really good, effective work is getting attention, making sure your brand is part of that, making sure it's comprehendi- comprehendable, um, you know, and that that's that's the kind of work. So, you know, obviously the insurance category that I work in at the moment has been pretty well lauded at the moment for for having good, clear, big kind of campaigns. But it's just the, it's just in the work you've just we've just spoken about. It's the clarity of message that has got me a little bit befuddled, to be honest. Last week, we saw first work from Milk and Honey from James Squire mythologizing the man behind the brand, which was um, potentially a little bit similar to another brand ad we saw recently mythologizing the man behind Dan Murphy's. Adam, do you know um, which agency produced that one? Well, I think the Dan Murphy's stuff was done by an agency called Thinkabell, and I think that was a ripping... um, a ripping uh, yarn. I, I thought it was a really good work. Um, not that I'm biased. And I think the other work for James Squires was done by Milk and Honey for a client that we work very closely with. Um, and again, I thought that was another ripping yarn. I reckon they're fantastic. I don't think there's going to be many consumers going in and mistaking Dan Murphy for James Squires. You know what I mean? I don't think it works like that. So I think, I think the fact that they're separate you know one's a big retailer the other one is a beer so I, you know i think they're both a really nice good epic pieces of work good strong emotive storytelling and um and i like them both i am obviously biased 
And uh, I guess just staying on brand with um, Thinkabell, uh, you, you produced a standalone project for CGU, the Toll Poppy Alongside Initiative. Can you obviously tell us a little bit about the the strategy there, which was very different to anything you would kind of other, otherwise <laughs> see with that five-minute-long TV spot? Yeah. Um, so the argument used to be only do 60, and 60 seconds and 15s. We've taken that to the absurdity of only doing five minutes and 15 seconds. Um, so the the strategy is around ensuring ambition, personifying um, ambition as um, tall poppy and tackling Australia's um, tall poppy syndrome by saying it's okay to be ambitious, it's okay to have hopes and dreams and try to make them uh, come real. I think is a is a wonderful strong territory for um, for CGU. Um, I think having an I think being ambitious in how we act and how we communicate is also really important so that then internally the organisation gets what we value and we value ensuring ambition and that's how we're going to act in our comms and, and so on. Um, the actual communication strategy is uh, talks to brokers. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, direct to broker communications in, in all sorts of weird and wonderful kind of ways. Um, but also we don't want to be a typical B2B brand that, you know, just talk down to people in a very boring way. We still want to kind of inspire that, that, that cohort. And so we want to do stuff that speaks to the general public as well. So that when brokers are having conversations about um, CGU, then the people they're having conversations with also know the brand and, and think, oh yeah, they're the ones who did this or this and, and um, it kind of lights their fire as well. And um, Kalila, you know, you've been, you recently took on campaign review. You've been looking at creative work with a bit more of a critical eye. Uh, any trends that you've noticed cropping up over the course of the year? Yeah, I'd say that yeah, I'd say the biggest trend that I've noticed at the moment is a little bit more conservatism um, in the advertising space. So with everything that's going on at the moment, obviously, um, with a kind of financial squeeze that a lot of us are experiencing at the moment, we're seeing um, a lot more advertising from categories that are kind of seen as necessity in everyday. So as we were discussing before, um, the financial services categories, the insurance categories, they're all pushing out a lot of work at the moment. And we're seeing a little bit less from some of those not so necessary categories, you know, um, retail, food, that kind of thing. Um, we have seen a bit of a resurgence of the travel category, obviously, after their few years hiatus, thanks to you know what. Um, we've seen some work coming out in recent months from Qantas, P&O, as well as a number of state and national tourism bodies. And I'm sure that'll be um, more to come as borders continue to open and, and people continue to get excited about getting back out there after being, you know, stuck at home for so long. Um, I've also noticed that a lot of the creative at the moment, probably um, for the same reason, is very positively framed. Um, we're seeing like a lot of humour, a lot of uplifting storylines, obviously, with CGU, with Qantas, things that are a little bit more emotive and making us feel like we belong to something and we're part of something. Um, lots of storylines that are looking forward, especially, I guess, in that financial services category, a lot of building your wealth, building your future. Um, it's all very positive. And I think that's just because it like the reality is that um, Australian audiences and, and probably 
global audiences of, at that are exhausted by um, the news and by all the negative sentiments that are kind of floating about in the media sphere more generally. And um, Adam, we spoke before we got on the podcast about um, any particular work you were a fan of, and you mentioned the new work from um, It's Friday, Colonial First State. What, what was it in particular that, that uh, you enjoyed about that one? Yeah, this is one um, targeting um, uh, older consumers. Um, I like the platform line of um, for the second half, I think it is. Um, and um, and I like the depiction of older people as being cool, individualistic, kind of aspirational. And it's a hard category to not fall into um, stereotypes and grey hair and kind of tired tropes. And I think they've done it really well. I really like it. The other piece of work I like recently is the uh, special stuff for bonds. Um, and that's went around our agency, like everyone was talking about it being uh, being really um, clever because it's a product demonstration and testimonials kind of rolled into one in a really kind of visually clear way um, and really attention getting and um, with some uh, beautiful, um, very funny uh, script writing in there as well. So there's yeah two really good pieces of work. I think uh, a personal favourite of mine this year was the um, the Quarkers ad for uh, was it um, HBF by Leo Burnett. That was a a good one. Just a, taking things back to the simplicity of a catchy ad. So there you go. Um, yeah, Khalil. Sorry, Adam. Were you Adam, gonna? Were you gonna? No, no. That was it. That was the intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Kalila, we had um, new work from Uber Eats this week as well, uh, I guess carrying on with their trend of getting recognisable faces on the spots. Um, what did you think, What did you make of that one? Yeah, so this was, um, I think the campaign was titled Paris Irwin. So for those uh, who haven't seen the spot, you probably would have if you've watched any free-to-air TV in the last week or so. Um, but basically it throws Paris Hilton in amongst uh, the Irwin family stirring up some trouble at Australia Zoo um, with a pink safari suit and chihuahua as well. Um, Cal, I know some of us on the team weren't huge fans of this spot. Did you have any thoughts you wanted to add in? Oh, look, you know, I, I think it was it was humorous. Obviously, you're going to get bang for your buck getting Paris Hilton on with the the Irwins, two very recognisable um, names and faces. I just thought maybe... You know, maybe it was a little bit predictable. And the tagline, I think it was, they can't even get crikey right at the end, was a bit ironic, um, considering my recent experiences with their uh, their apps. But, uh, yeah, that was that was my two cents on that. Adam, what about you? If you started, to, if you try to pick apart that campaign and point out criticisms in it, you're going to look like a fool, I reckon. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so can I just say, Cal, that I'm still team Snoop, not team Paris, when it comes to my food delivery? Uh, Fair I was going to add in as well. Um, I kind of, I feel kind of similarly to you, Cal, but I do think um, th there is something in the kind of cheesiness that they go for with that. Like it is, I think it, it obviously works and it's quite intentional. And I do think that they were really trying to 
bandwagon kind of off the success of the spot they did last year with the Grey Wiggle with Simon Cowell. That did really, really well for them. And I think they've kind of taken that same concept of let's throw a complete outsider into, you know, an Australian treasure and see what happens. Um, and as much as I think that, you know, there's a bit of cheesiness and it's, it's a bit cringe to watch, um, I think it's going to do well for them probably. Andrew, I'm also team uh, team Snoop. Nice. Uh, so tell me why are you team Snoop? I I think it resonates with me more. Uh, I, I think it was a really clever uh, use for Snoop to get involved in in that and to really take that and own it. And I think he's really going to be tough to topple in the in the home food delivery stakes. Even the jingle, like the, the jingle has done so much for them. I think they've also remade the ad since with um, local act Baker Boy as well, and that's um, pretty good. Obviously, it doesn't have that same kind of oomph as Snoop, but it's also got the same melody and, you know, everything, and it's a nice little tribute to well, a local artist. I was um, completely thrown off when I moved back from the UK, and over there, menu log is called Just Eat. And they had the exact same jingle, but the, the words were replaced with just eat. So I kind of came back and thought that they'd just completely ripped it off. But I guess um, that's me not doing a lot of research. I think I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think that the platform they've got and the way they're <clears throat> tapping into uh, and being part of contemporary culture, both at a global level and a local level and creating interesting little earworms and all that kind of stuff, I reckon... Yeah, it feels good. And um, just finally, before we move on, we have obviously seen quite a few political campaigns coming out recently, um, none that have really taken uh, the nation by storm. Adam, any that you thought were maybe a particularly savvy piece of political advertising or um, are there any good examples that you could go back to to point to of great political advertising? Um, I, I find what's fascinating about this is you've got one bloke who couldn't be more human if he tried and can't get through a presser without making a mistake, and one person who seems quite almost inhuman and uh, thuggish. And, um, and it's amazing how the campaign trail continues and the mistakes keep on getting made. I think the polls keep on going up for Albany Albert Anthony Albanese, and um, I've been, long been a fan of um, the pratfall effect, which is basically when you make a mistake, people kind of tend to perceive you as even more competent. I've kind of based my career on it, and um, uh, and so just seeing that come to life excites me. Like I'm, I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that I think his likability is going up as he makes these gaffes and so forth. And people try to do this gotcha stuff. So I think watching that narrative play out is really, really interesting um, to me. It lets people in. He's, he feels very human. People kind of I feel people cheering for him, hoping for him to get, you know, to to nail it. So I think it's just the individual, per, the, the two personalities, um, both in their blue suits and very conservative-looking blokes with very, very different personalities and personal styles. That's what I'm finding really fascinating about this whole campaign. I think even in the um, the lead leading spots we saw from each of the major parties, uh, they both 
you know, put out about a, a minute and a half long um, spots, kind of all about the leaders of their parties. And I think we see something really similar, even strategically happening there. The spot from the Labour Party with um, Albo at the front is very much positioning him as this underdog, as, you know, somebody who's there for the for the small guy and really wants to uplift people and talking about his backstory and then, um, I guess, moving on to more so the plan that Labor has for people, like real people. Um, and then whereas we see Liberals, um, Liberal spots, sorry, they're positioning um, Scott Morrison as kind of this untouchable, like kind of, you know, godlike figure. You know, they have this dramatic music and all of these scenes of him sitting at the end of conference tables and like walking around his office looking mysterious. And it's it's an interesting move. And they they talk more in the kind of, past term sense, talking about what they've done and, you know, how difficult it's been and where they've brought us. Uh, I think it's um, obviously partially their personalities, but I do think there's a bit of strategy seeming to unfold there as well. Well, it's um, clearly working if you're referring to Scott Morrison as godlike, Kalila. But um... <laughs> oh, Don't quote me on that, please. It's like more like a bouncer in a bad nightclub. <laughs> I think they want him to be a godlike, I, I should say. <laughs> anyway, coming up next, uh, a few more bits with Adam while we've got him here. So, Adam, at the top of the program in that wonderfully red spot, uh, you mentioned that you will be speaking at ComsCon next week. Um, and you'll have uh, the lovely Banksy here, I think, uh, helping you out and moderating duties. Um, do you want to give us, without obviously giving too much away, a little preview of uh, what you'll be talking about? Yeah, I think, you know, we're in, everyone's talking about attention these days and, um, you know, an attention trumping reach in terms of media strategies and so forth. And so therefore people love the whole concept of earned media and people remarking and talking about your brand. And so everyone wants to kind of unlock the secrets of earned media. Yet at the same time, there's almost this internal dissonance, whereas everyone still hates PR as an industry for um, just for its, I don't know, for I don't know what the exact reasons are, but so it's kind of really fascinating to me that we all want PR and we all want earned media, yet we all kind of just don't want to be, you know, a lot of us don't want to be position ourselves in that way. And so we are talking about a little bit about the that the dissonance that creates um, for the industry um, is what I'll be hypothesising. And of course, um, there was a campaign, uh, well, you wouldn't call it a campaign, it was uh, a piece of earned advertising last week, which did waves on uh, social media and around the press, the the furfy truck up on its side, uh, what was the, the thinking behind that one? Yeah, thanks for letting me um, talk about that. Um, we, are, we are crazily proud of that piece of work because it's really um, strategic, based off a, a fantastic platform around... Um, uh, unbelievable, which is uh, what a, a fair fee is. Um, so it's too good to be true. And the whole, um, you know, now they've, they've launched Furphy Crisp Lager and we needed to create something that got enough attention, got people engaged with Furphy Crisp Lager to start to notice it and try that. And so we did a stunt that got, um, you know, it, it, you know, blew up on social media and Reddit and so forth and got a bit of earned and um, and that's all just a kind of an elaborate entree into a massive sampling campaign. 
um, which is then taking a lot of that imagery and so forth and, and building that into the sampling campaign to put liquid on lips, as they say. So that's, and you know, it, and it's just also just a really fun, cool thing to do to, to shove a truck in a laneway like that. <laughs> yeah, I think um, often, you know, they, they do maybe get categorised different types of advertising, but, you know, at the end of the day, you're doing a piece of brand work and whether it gets uh, picked up as attention or not is uh, almost irrelevant. Um, but, I, but I also think, you know, us commenting on other people's creative work as we've done is almost ludicrous because it's hard unless you're there in in the work doing the strategy, you don't quite know what it is and you're only commenting on 30 seconds of it. So I feel a little bit bad about saying the piece of the 45 second ad I saw was incomprehensible because that could be the most amazing platform with the most amazing work about to be rolled out across various different media. And I just don't know that, so I sound like a goose. But the people who are just commenting, and just like on that truck thing, that the, the truck for Furphy, the main bit of that is really about introducing this a sampling campaign. Um, but people wouldn't know that just by looking at that one one truck, if you know what I mean, and commenting on, on that. Well, for today on the podcast, unfortunately, um, all we can do is then uh, be seen acting like gooses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I guess you have to have an opinion and, and so on. But I do, I do worry about crucifying ourselves. I think but, geese is the right term, Cal. Yeah, I was, I was going to say I should say geese before we. Um, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Sounding like a bit of a goose there myself. Okay. And can I say, and um, Adam, you wanted to plug your new podcast as well, so you've got thirty seconds. Yeah, well, it's only fair that I had to do an ad for your conference, and so now I'm doing an ad for our podcast. Um, with Brent Smart and I have created a podcast called Black T-Shirts. It's all about it's double XL creativity for marketers, and it's just about being inspired by and getting tips from some of the world's best creative uh, practitioners, whether it be CMOs or creatives or media people or whatever. Um, so have a listen. Thanks. Um, anyway, that's um, that's just about it for today for another episode of the Umbrella Cast. Um, please make sure to subscribe where you are listening or on whatever podcast platform you normally listen on, and check our website for everything else. Thanks, Eclair Adam. Thank you for joining me. God bless you. Great being here with you all. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.